Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. And hello, Mike. How are you? Hey, Matt. What's going on? Not much. Ready to go on a grand adventure with you today. I am. Let's go. Let's go to space. Let's go to let's do some fantasy, but also some sci-fi adventure, if that's okay with you. Sci-fi and fantasy so frequently are one in the same. It doesn't really matter to me that they get grouped differently. Yeah, this. Well, Mike, I, I was being tongue in cheek because today's game today, Fantasy Star, is was sort of a revolution in that most RPGs at that time were the Dungeons and Dragons, Final Fantasy, traditional fantasy as we know it. This was something different, Mike. Yeah. So Fantasy Star, fantasy spelt with a PH because, you know. Why wouldn't it be? At least when they released it in the United States. I, I don't think there's a there's a difference in how fantasy is spelt over in Japan. But Fantasy Star would spawn a series, right? So I guess there's there's four mainline Fantasy Star games. There's Fantasy Star Online 1 and 2. And it, this has been kind of Sega's trademark RPG series, or at least was Sega's trademark RPG series for many, many, many years. Now... This game released in Japan on December 20th, 1987 for the Sega Master System, two days after Final Fantasy released on the Famicom in Japan. Now, we wouldn't get Final Fantasy in the United States till I think 1989 or 1990 even. Like, I think it took three, two or three years at least for Final Fantasy to come over here, but we would get Fantasy Star about a year later. So Fantasy Star in the United States actually predates Final Fantasy. Now, as you said, Fantasy Star is a sci-fi RPG. Now, we, I do have to also kind of also say that, yes, it is a sci-fi RPG. There are sci-fi elements, but it is still very much kind of a fantasy game. Yeah. Because like even the sci-fi tropes that we have in Fantasy Star are applied to a fairly fantasy-based system. There's a there's a king, and there is a kingdom, and King, his name is King Lassic, does all this bad stuff, and he becomes like this unjust king. And then you as Alice have to go, Alice spelled A-L-I-S. Yep. Have to go to three different planets to kind of like solve this problem and stop this king from kind of destroying everything or totally taking over the system, the Algol star system. Now, and, and along the way, you're recruiting wizards and warriors yeah, and yeah. talking cats. I mean, this is very much your it common is, traditional RPG, JRPG as we know it. It is very much sci-fi fantasy in the vein of Star Wars being a sci-fi fantasy. Now, while while there is science fiction elements to game to movies like Star Wars and games like Fantasy Star, they are very much fantasy in how they're kind of displayed to the user. You're still using swords and armor and shields. Now, there is a character who gets a gun, like a ray gun, and there are vehicles and spaceships and things like that that you use. But it very much is a fantasy game. You fight a lot of fantasy monsters throughout the three planets that you go to. And 
I have to say, I did not play Fantasy Star seriously until about a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago. And I played played it on the Switch with the Sega Ages version. And I believe I talked about it on the podcast, but Fantasy Star has actually kind of been re-released a bunch of times. It was on the, the Master System, the Master System both in the United States and in Japan. And then it went on to be released on the Mega Drive, which is the Genesis in Japan. Also, Japan got a Sega Saturn version of Fantasy Star. Actually, what's really cool is there was a Game Boy Advanced Fantasy yeah. Star collection. There have been that some compilations was, of, I think, the first four games, right? A few times. Yeah, yeah. The, the Fantasy Star games are, the first four are like on every Sega collection. I believe they're all, at least one or two of them are on Nintendo Switch Online. There's a PlayStation 2 version. Obviously, there's a Switch version, which is the newest. Now, the PS2 one, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's a bit of a remake. I'm pretty unfamiliar with it, but I heard it's a pretty extensive remake. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a remake and... I haven't played the PS2 one or, or really seen too, too much of it. But yes, it's it's definitely a remake of the original game, kind of in the vein of how they remade Shin Megami Tensei yeah. 1 and 2 on the PS2 in Japan. And with Fantasy Star, it's like, okay, yeah, it doesn't, to me, I don't think the remake works as well. I think this game works best when it's in its kind of 8-bit mm. kind of version, the Master System version or the 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 Sega Ages version which is on the Switch. Now this also got a Sega Mark 3 version. Now Sega the Sega Mark 3 is like the upgraded version of the Master System in Japan and what's cool about that is that the Mark 3 had a module an add-on that allowed you to play FM synth music from Mark 3 cartridges. And Fantasy Star has a Mark III cartridge that has FM synth music on it. So if you're a fan of FM synthesized music, pretty much it's Genesis style music. You could actually use that music on the, hear that music if you had a Japanese Mark III and a Japanese cartridge of this game. Now we would get that music, the ability to move to that music on the Sega Ages version of Fantasy Star. And to me, I think it just sounds better. It sounds richer. It's got a better mood to it. It feels really good, but this game has a lot going for it. It's not the longest game. It's probably like a 10 to 12 hour RPG. It's different than Final Fantasy, whereas your battles are all in first person. So that takes a little getting used to. Yeah. I got used to it through like Earthbound and Dragon Quest, older Dragon Quest games. But if you haven't done that yet, it does take a little bit to get used to it. And one, some of my favorite aspects of this game are the dungeons. There are first-person dungeons in this game that are greatly inspired by Wizardry, yeah, which was a, a very popular American and Western RPG, computer RPG series that was famous in the 1980s. And I think the mood and the vibe of this game is so incredibly different. It's great to play a game that is contemporary to Final Fantasy that has not yet been inspired or influenced by Final Fantasy. Because so many late NES RPGs, Super Nintendo RPGs, even PS1 RPGs are so inspired and influenced by Final Fantasy, it's impossible to escape it that they all kind of feel like Final Fantasy. Fantasy Star doesn't. And yeah. I think that's one of its greatest attributes. While I love Final Fantasy, obviously, I talk about it on this show all the time. It is nice to have something that's an alternative. And those first four Final Fantasy Star games are very, very good and very, very different. 
And the team behind it is it's your standard kind of Sega team. It's Yuji Naka, who he was like the lead. He was like the lead. I think he was like the lead developer on it. The programmer. programmer. Yeah. He was like the head programmer. Obviously, he would go to work on Sonic the Hedgehog and mm-hmm. Nights in the Dreams and uh, the awful Balan Wonderland or whatever the heck that is. And then he got arrested for insider trading in Japan. But he's working on this game with Kotaro Hayashida, who is your main designer. And rest in peace, the head artist on the game is Reiko Kodama, who would go on to do a bunch of Sega games, most notably the Fantasy Star series and one of my personal favorites, and I know one of your personal favorites, Skies of Arcadia. So Sega has an oddly rich JRPG history that we as gamers almost never talk about because it kind of gets overshadowed by Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. So it's really cool to see where it started. Yeah, no, great introduction. As always, I'm always complimenting how well you kind of overview the games we talk about each week, Mike, and you hit upon so many wonderful things. The first being, obviously, when it released in Japan versus when it comes to us is always a big talking point. And the further back you go, the bigger disparity in how much time. Now we get stuff day and date, or we get it sometimes before it even gets to Japan. But Back then, you're right, this game wasn't released in the West till 88, but it came out in Japan 87. And Dragon Quest was was really the the only real, like, this type of RPG, traditional JRPG, that was kind of known at the time. This was Sega's response. Final Fantasy, as you said, came out within a few days of each other in Japan. But actually, this came to the West before Final Fantasy, which is yeah. kind of fascinating. So yeah, Sega doesn't always get the credit they deserve when it comes to a lot of these franchises. For some reason, Fantasy Star is not always mentioned in the same breath as some of these other JRPGs. And you go into other genres as well. Sega sometimes gets the short end of the stick, but they should get a lot of credit here for a lot of things they did. And the one I want to focus on first, Mike, and talk about with you is sort of the the way that you, the perspectives of this game, because yeah. you have the overview map, which yeah. Dragon Quest or, or Legend of Zelda 2, there's a lot of games where you can walk around an overview map and then enemies show up. And then you have, of course, in the battle, which you said has sort of those comparisons to Earthbounds, where you can't see your party, but you can see the monsters and the animations of the of the enemies, which, which is wonderfully done in this game. Yeah. But I think the most interesting one is the dungeons. And so, so good. Yeah. And what kind of games, I mean, a couple come to mind for me, Mike, what other experiences can you remember where you go through these sort of like 3D-esque first person type games? Obviously, Wizardry is where they got the idea from, but I mean, I haven't played a ton of Wizardry. It's kind of first person shooterish, right? There is a Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein kind of vibe to it. But also later, if you want to get into RPGs, I know the first, I believe the first two or three Shin Megami Tensei games have, have some first person, first person yeah. dungeons. I know that Etrian Odyssey, that yep. whole series is about first person dungeons. Well, like, I was thinking of on the NES, there was a horror game. I forgot if it was Jason or, or Friday oh, the 13th. Yeah, Friday the 13th. Yep. And that whole game, you're kind of navigating, I forget it was homes or what you're navigating, but it has this sort of first person perspective and you feel like this is almost a ripoff of, of Fantasy Star. It probably was. Fantasy Star, I think the problem with Fantasy Star is that it's stuck on the master system when it comes out. Yeah. 
Sega didn't have the market share that Nintendo had. They did not have the marketing prowess that Nintendo had. I mean, Nintendo was like most of the market was the NES at the time and trying to compete with them was was near impossible. So if you had a master system and you wanted to play something like Final Fantasy, this was your only option. So the master system kids who grew up with the master system I'm so sorry to those people. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, listen. No, it's I, I'm being I'm joking a bit, Mike, but you and me who grew up with the NES and the SNES, there's a lot more obviously that we talk about today as far as things have aged. There are excellent games that were on the Master System. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are there are good games on the Master System. There aren't a lot of good games on the Master System. I will go out there and say that right now. I think a lot of the games in the Master System are, are bad. <laughs> I have a Master System. I've played a lot of the games. But Fantasy Star is definitely one of the good ones. But going back to play Fantasy Star in its original form nowadays mm. is not a good idea. Playing that game, going into the dungeons without a mini-map... It's very well, difficult. It's well, so that's obtuse. the main issue, Mike, because when I first played this game, I'm trying to think what version I played. Maybe it was my friend Saturn, I think. And you need to almost take a piece of paper and mark down where you're going and which way you went to kind of draw your own map in these dungeons. Yeah, you would have to really like use graph paper and draw a map, which is why when they put it on Switch in 2018, there was a an auto map minimap maker so as you went through a dungeon you would actually have the minimap to go back to and also when you play the later version they they cut down the encounter rate they make your enemies give you more experience so you're it's not nearly as much of like two steps and you're in a battle and two steps and you're in a battle and you pretty much wipe constantly they they definitely gave those quality of life improvements but i don't know this game just feels so different yeah you know, nothing feels like it. Even Fantasy Star like 2, when you go and play Fantasy Star 2, doesn't feel like the original Fantasy Star. Fantasy Star 3 and 4, same thing. Like At that point, you can tell they were starting to get the influence from games like Zelda and Final Fantasy. Now, obviously, the original Fantasy Star was clearly inspired by Dragon Quest to some degree. Obviously, first-person battles is definitely something that you would see in Dragon Quest. But the big thing that inspired fantasy star was star wars right yeah. was that we could combine western and eastern imagery right as well as fantasy and sci-fi so what the folks over at sega wanted to do is they kind of wanted to just create a game that kind of felt like that and they got something that feels very very original very unique it's hard to compare fantasy star to anything outside of its own series and I'm actually kind of surprised that we don't see more RPGs like this, more RPGs with this vibe, more like throwback retro RPGs that play and feel like the original Fantasy Star. There are so few games that actually do it. And I feel like there's a market for that. I feel like someone can make a fantasy star like, and I think it could be very popular because it's got its fan base. Also, even a new fantasy star would be cool. A new yeah. non-online fantasy star. Now, obviously, fantasy star online was its own thing. It had a really cool community. It did very well for the Dreamcast and eventually like the PS2 and the GameCube. But there's a lot to be said for Sega's RPG lineage and RPG history, which now also includes Atlas because Sega owns Atlas. And you could really follow 
the the trail from fantasy star all the way up to yakuza like a dragon and how they're all kind of related in the same family yeah it's it's really cool to see that trajectory and i agree with you it's surprising that sega who does like to redip back into its well very often that they don't jump back into the fantasy star series because like you said it's a known franchise it has its fans and i think if they did a reintroduction of the series i think they would get a lot of followings out there this g's and even traditional ones jrpgs are growing in capacity especially on the switch and some of these platforms so it's surprising but going back to this game playing the version like on the switch which is a really good version of this game quite good yeah you can see so many really good things that this game did and what makes it a landmark rpg what really was a a a shot for for sega big shot in the dark that that landed it made a franchise it made several games and like you said it and on the dreamcast with the, the pso series was tremendous and that all really stems from these games whether it's uh the characters the dungeons the outside worlds the, the shops which is always fun i like going yep. into the shop and seeing the guy stand there with all the stuff in the background the the visuals to me were the most surprising thing because i usually thought nes games looked better than most games on the master system. But this game, particularly, I think, Mike, the colors, just the different visual aspects, the animations, I think they're really good. Yeah, they could do really creative backgrounds, right? Because stuff isn't moving. Not most of the enemies are... The the master system was bad at doing very big sprites. So a lot of enemies that you see in this game are actually kind of like, quote-unquote, drawn into the background into the the battle background so they could kind of create these really big intricate pictures using what the master system could do and you you see some really good detailed stuff and i think this is one of the best looking master system games and possibly one of the best looking 8-bit games when you go and you sit down and play it especially when you're looking talking about like how good the dungeons look when you're in the first person kind of viewpoint and how they kind of scroll and the music just pumps in the background And it's got this really good vibe to it. And like you said, some of the best graphics of that, of that period, it just looks so, so incredibly good comparatively to a lot of other stuff that released at that time. Yeah, Mike, I I absolutely agree. If you look, it's so hard to easy to look back now at this game and be like, oh, it looks terrible, but you have to really remember the time that it came out. Now, a fun talking point, Mike, I don't know if it's something you're aware of, is this game was actually quite expensive on the mass system was actually more expensive than many other games that came out at the time because it used a larger mega chip, megabit chip because of the save features this game had. A lot of games didn't have save features. Legend of Zelda being a game at that time that was able to save and this game being another one that you had battery backup and that made the game more expensive. Yeah, and we would see expensive RPGs seem to always be the games that were more expensive because they had to use bigger cartridges and battery backups. And when you go and play a game like Chrono Trigger has all this music and all this detailed animation, or you play a game like this on the Master System where the carts weren't that big, but because you needed all of these extra features, the game needed to cost more. And we're seeing that now, I think, with with some cartridge-based games like we see on Switch now, where we're going to see some Switch games that are $70 as opposed to $60. So I think it's it's 
kind of par for the course. And RPG gamers in general have always been the people that are willing to spend any amount of money to play the RPG games they want. Because even if the game is 60 bucks, there's a special edition that comes with the statue that's 100 and they will buy it. And you generally get, usually on an RPG, you're getting your money's worth because these games are usually longer than your average Mega Man. Not to, not to, I love Mega Man, one of my favorites, but a game you can beat in an hour generally. This is a game that if you look at your average RPG, they could be 10, 20, 30 plus hours. When you said games are more expensive JRPGs, I think to the Wii about the two JRPGs that almost didn't make it West. And when they did, they were like $80 each to get exclusively at like GameStop. I think that was yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles 1, I believe was one of them. So it's like, yeah, that's what RPGs have always had this problem because there's a special edition or there's some grand scale to the game that just doesn't translate to your regular cartridge. Also, until very recently, RPGs have been very niche. Yeah. So they're playing to kind of their their base, right? There, there is an it's a it's a genre that is looking to make games for a very select group of players. Now, the RPG base, as you said, has grown immensely over the past 20, 30 years, but still, there's still a little bit of a gamble. And it's one of those things where, you know, even Fantasy Star today might be a gamble. I mean, I think if you made a new Fantasy Star, put it on Switch, it would probably sell a million copies. I mean, even if you made like the old ones. I know you're a big fan of the Bravely Default series, and no one would say that series sells gangbusters. It probably sells a couple million on between the portables and the switch. But I'd say this has as much, if not more of a fan base than bravely default. I think so. I mean, bravely default and Octopath traveler, they're going to sell two to 3 million units, which for those games is great. Like that's all those games need to do. They don't need to sell 15 million copies, like a final fantasy. They don't need to sell 30 million copies, like a witcher, like, a game like Octopath, a game like Triangle Strategy, Bravely Default, Live Alive, these games can sell one to two million and still kind of turn a profit or or be a, a good investment for a company like Square Enix or all of those Trails games that get put out by Falcom. There's like a million of them and they're all somewhat related. They don't need to sell 20 million copies because they're just selling them to their their fan base and they know how big their fan base is. Yeah, they know if they sell a million or two copies, they can make another game or two. So it's 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 interesting to see, and we do see kind of almost like classes, right? Of 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 games where the big triple triple A blockbusters need to sell so many to be profitable. When you look at a game like, well, first of all, we'll bring Square Enix into this because they're kind of like the RPG stronghold right now. One of them. You look at a company like Square Enix who has been horrific at marketing their games as of lately like they released like 17 games last year most i'm serious that's actually i think an accurate number that's insane and and maybe more maybe closer to 20 and most of those games were released between most of those games were released between september and february and they're worried and they're saying there's like oh well we're not meeting sales figures just because you released too many games and didn't market any of them like nobody yeah. knew they were coming out. So while you have to market to your niche and you need the niche to buy the game, you also have to like understand that like, yeah, some of these games need to be focused at a very specific group of people, the Octopath Travels of the world, the fantasy stars of the world, right? These are 
Fantasy Star could easily do two million. I think. I think that's a game you can put it out there, make a big deal about it. I think it could do one to two million, or maybe two to three million, and it might not get the Fantasy Star online people who really liked it, but no. it'll get the classic RPG fans. It, it might not, but it surprises me that we live in a world where we can get a Shenmue three so many years later, but not get a Fantasy Star five or a Fantasy Online three. That this series is still not as alive as it should be. Yeah, and also you got to think right. Shenmue 2 wasn't good. No. <laughs> Shenmue right? 1 was like, Shenmue look one... at all, it was like more like, a, oh, look at all the different things this game can do as far as like, it was almost like trying to be GTA and that the like, there's different mechanics and mini games and puzzles and stuff you can do. But the game itself was never great. No, Shenmue 1 was... It was a a blend of very interesting ideas. Yeah. That kind of ultimately felt as though it felt like a prototype. It felt like eventually this would get somewhere. And it did. And it's called Yakuza. I was just going to say Yakuza is the perfected version. Yeah. Yakuza is what Shenmue was trying to be. And it's kind of like those ideas and dreams come to fruition when, when Yakuza comes out on PS2. And obviously that game... That series now has six mainline games in it two, and two spinoffs. I think maybe even three spinoffs with, if you're going to count the new newest game that came out with Ishin, like like a dragon Ishin, which is like a samurai era version of Yakuza. Now you have Judgment, which is a spinoff of Yakuza. Then you have the Yakuza games like Like a Dragon, which is now a turn-based RPG series. So while we're not getting Fantasy Star games anymore, we have seen that Sega has shifted. And with their RPGs, they have Atlas. So they have Shin Megami Tensei. They have Persona, which is huge, right? Which are two very popular RPG series. Now, they don't sell like Final Fantasy does, but they'll sell five, four or five million copies in, in this day and age, especially now that they're on Switch. And then you have Like a Dragon, which is an amazing RPG, an amazing RPG, like one of the best turn-based RPGs I've played in in recent years. I I suggest that game to literally everyone that likes turn-based RPGs. And you can see, you can feel the lineage all the way back to Fantasy Star when you sit and you play Yakuza Like a Dragon. So while we lost Fantasy Star, we have gained some, some other series that are very, very good. And I don't think I would want to trade them for one another. I just think that Fantasy Star could also hang as well. Yeah, there's there's room for there's room for everyone. There's a big piece of the pie and everyone can have a piece. Yeah, so, exactly. So Mike, to kind of reflect on Fantasy Star came out in Japan 1987, came finally here to us in 1988. On the Master System, some of the things that was praised for, people actually said it was the future of home video games, that it took like arcade games and computer games and kind of took the best of both of what they could do. It was commended for its strategy, its puzzles, its challenge at the time, which actually was made easier, as you said, in newer versions. It was easy to play, though, where it didn't you didn't need quick action or quick reflexes. You can kind of take your time. This is turn-based at its earliest and best. Critics like the variety of the monsters in the game. The combat system was still... This is not 30 years later. We've seen a thousand turn-based JRPGs. This was still fresh. This was still something new and unique. Great presentation as far as, like you said, the kind of the vibe and the feel of the world, that sci-fi element that, again, it's not, we're not deep space here yet, but it, it broadened it a little more than we were used to. 
And I happen to like the the monster animations. I yeah. think that's for me is important in any of these games is cool looking monsters and good animations for them because you can't see your party. So that was something that was 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 praised. But I think the thing that people go back to, and you said it early, is the perspective, is then some of the dungeon crawling, those effects. They're really cool, like the lighting and the way you crawl through the dungeons, and they're all unique and different looking. It's something that people said was it actually won in 1988 best graphics by EGM, the magazine, for that year. So it was it was noticed at that time. Yeah, and it should be because it does have such an original, unique look. What I also like about this this game is that it feels like it's got kind of that 70s fantasy like 70s animated fantasy vibe to it this was before fantasy stories and space stories or whatever you want to call them were outside of star wars were scored by like giant orchestras right this is like weird 70s electronic music that you hear while you're walking around and when you're especially when you're in the dungeon right it feels like an old it's got that kind of like dark 70s 80s dark fantasy vibe which is very hard to replicate and very hard to put into words but a lot of times i like chalk it up to the band tangerine dream and their album phaedra it very much reminds me of that and if you're a fan of the netflix experience known as bandersnatch i do feel that that the game the the main player the main character is trying to make in that show is obviously based off of crpgs like wizardry and things like that but also i think a healthy dose of fantasy star as well because that's what it feels like yeah no i think that's a great you have to sort of understand the feel of this game and understand what kind of movies were coming out of that time what kind of shows were coming out at the time and this game it's it's almost like you said way ahead of its time as far as reflection of those things it's almost like ralph bakshi's uh, lord of the rings which isn't super popular, mm. but I heavily suggest people take a look at kind of the the whole weird, trippy, heavy metal style, Conan the Barbarian style kind of vibe to all of it. Kind of that really weird, trippy 70s fantasy animation. I almost, and I might be completely off here, I feel like some of the characters, Shovel Knight, I feel like almost pays tribute to some of the the shapes of some yeah, of the knights and that. different things. And I get that. The, and there's a little bit of that homage there I see in Shovel Knight. But this game is, has, has influenced a lot of different media at this, at this oh, point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fantasy Star, it's not as influential and not as prolific as Final Fantasy. No. But it definitely deserves to be in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. So it's a welcome addition to our Hall of Fame, Mike. It, it was praised. Now, we don't have Metacritics back then, but... A lot of magazines, a lot of publications were rating it 90% plus. This was a highly praised, reviewed game, and it's a game you shouldn't sleep on today. If you really want to understand video game history and understand Dragon Quest Final Fantasy, there was a third tier at that point of JRPG makers, and Sega was doing a a phenomenal job. Like you said, I do think things do shift a little bit with 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, Uh, The first one in particular, I think, is, is quite unique. Yeah, it's a very, very unique original experience. It's very odd that a game in 2023 surprises me, especially an old game. And I've had it happen twice in the last five or six, seven years. I don't know. Time is a joke. The first time was with Earthbound, where I was incredibly surprised with just how good Earthbound actually is. 
And the second time was with Fantasy Star because I'd heard people talk about Fantasy Star for years and go, yeah, 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 whatever. And then I played it and I'm like, I get it. I do get it. It's a unique, original, incredible experience. Yeah, that's that puts a nice bow on it. So that will be Fantasy Star, Sega, another one into our Hall of Fame. I don't know how many Sega has. I don't know if they have any, <laughs> but I'll have to fact check myself on that. We had a couple. I think there's, we talked about at least one Sonic. Yeah, I'm sure we did. So Mike, I would like to ask you, what have you been playing lately? Yeah, we haven't talked about this too much recently. We've 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 had these jam filled episodes, so we haven't got time to talk about it. So I'm happy to 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 talk about this finally. So I've been playing Octopath Traveler two, a game that is not selling well because Square can't market for nothing. It's so funny when Nintendo published Octopath Traveler, the first game, and it was a Switch exclusive. It sold about double. Now the game has gone multi platform. Square Enix published it and it's selling half so where's the problem here right it needs that nintendo marketing because nintendo just knows what they're doing they're like the disney of video games they know how to market but i love it it's a very good game it's more of the same it's funny it's like you say a- that mike and i don't mean to interrupt you but they do like a short release window nintendo where they'll tell you about the game like 30 yeah. or 60 days beforehand yeah and they just amp you up to it they're not distracting yeah. with what else is coming out no nope. they just focus you on this game's coming in 30 days yeah and it's they're really good at that. Really good at that. And that's why the Switch, I think, has also been so successful because it's the constant stream and the constant dopamine drip of release after release well, after release. What do you think of the content itself compared to the first game? I think everything in Octopath Traveler 2 is a refined version of the first game. It refines everything the first game did from the visuals to the gameplay to the combat to the characters. The characters interact with each other more frequently now. There are crossover quests where two characters will have a chapter together where you think they each their stories will actually cross. I'm not far into the game, but I've heard later in the game there is more crossover between the characters as well. Everything about this is, is I don't know if it's better uh, than the first game because the first game for me had the wow factor, had the surprise factor. It had the just it just got me right from the beginning. And this game really caught me too, but it does build off of everything the first game was. And it's just a refinement. It's a total refinement on everything from top to bottom. It's an excellent RPG. If you like turn-based games, if you like job classes, if you like having eight characters that you can switch between, if you're a big fan of classic RPGs. Big parties, yeah. Big, big party. If you're a fan of games like Saga Frontier, but want a game that's actually good, then Octopath Travel is like right up your alley. And it's right up my alley. I, I actually absolutely love it. I've been playing it a lot. I'm probably about 30, 35 hours in oh, already, wow. which is which goes to show you just how much I've been playing because it's like I can't put it down. How, uh, lin- how linear is Octopath Traveler 2? It's not super linear. Each character has like four chapters okay. to complete their story, but you can do them in any order. And you can kind of pick and choose how you go about it. And the music's terrific. The visuals with the HD 2D is the best it's ever looked. You get like, you get a cool canoe. There's like a whole bunch of different stuff that you add to it, but it's really, really good. Great enemy sprites, just a terrific, a terrific classic style RPG. And for the Fantasy Star fans out there, it's not like Fantasy Star too much, but it's pretty good. And I really enjoyed this game and I'm excited to see what they do with this franchise moving forward. Uh, and then, we get, I wonder if we get more on that. I don't know. Square's in a weird spot. 
with games like Forspoken kind of bombing and a lot of their games they released last year that were not marketed at all bombed. I don't know. Uh, I actually think Square is going to tighten up a little bit. I'm not sure how many games like this we're going to see moving forward, but we're lucky that we're in a time right now where we do get to see them. So we'll see how they how how this game continues to perform, but I, I really enjoy it. Alternatively, I've been playing the demo to Resident Evil 4 remake. It's very good. It just feels like the best version of Resident Evil 4 that it could ever have been by taking what Capcom has done and learned with the Resident Evil 2 remake and 3 remake and applying it to Resident Evil 4. It's a win-win-win situation. The demo is ex- it's essentially the first like 15 minutes of the game, which is very similar to like the first 15 minutes of the original Resident Evil 4. And it's great. And it's not it it's weird because it feels very similar to Resident Evil 4, but at the same time, it's new and fresh enough to where like someone like me who's beaten Resident Evil 4 more times than he can count actually felt the same adrenaline rush and frantic energy that I felt the first time I played the original Resident Evil 4 demo. So it's a welcomed feeling to feel to have something that's essentially 20 years old or 15 or 16 or 17 years old feel this fresh and new. Yeah, I'm very interested to see because while Resident Evil 2 and 3 were good games, the remakes were fantastic and people praised what they did in these remakes. 4 was one of the greatest games and most influential games of all time. So anytime you hear something like that's being remade, like Final Fantasy VII, you're like, well, you're touching a masterpiece. So I'm so curious to see when this game, when this podcast comes out, the game will fully be out by then. Um, but I'm curious to see if people say this game is as good or better. Does this replace RE4 as we know it? Is this the new golden standard to play the game? It might be. It might be. I don't know. I'm very excited to see what Resident Evil 4 remake does. Yeah. Very cool. So those are that's some very cool new upcoming games you've been playing, Mike. I want to share quickly what I've been playing lately. I I did try a One Piece Odyssey. I'm a big One Piece Ooh. fan. Love the anime. I read a little bit of the manga. I've watched hundreds of episodes of the show. Far too many. Far too many. I will catch up. I'm still probably 70 or 80 behind. But what I don't like, and I think if this was like 20 or 25 year old Matt, he would love it, how how really dedicated they are to the characters and the lore mm-hmm. and the visuals. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. But for me, I feel like I'm playing Final Fantasy VIII for the first time, and they're just the animations in between each attack just take too long. And at a point in my life I'm in, I want quick turn-based battles. I don't want to sit there all day to get through one battle. So I, I only put about an hour, hour and a half into the game, and I said, maybe when I'm a more patient state of mind, maybe I'll come back and want to play it. <laughs> but it was just moving too slowly for me in between each attack, if that makes sense. It's hard. No, it's hard, man. I totally get it. I totally get it. That's why so many games use a speed-up function these days. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's just me. Someone else might enjoy that, and I, I love the care they put into the world. So I will revisit it. I also tried... And I say tried because I, I did fail. I, I played a couple hours of Elden Ring. I, I've been really like waiting to get my hands into it. And I have to admit that the world is beautiful. Everything they've created as far as the monsters, the whole, just kind of the way this whole FromSoft, the way they've built up to Elden Ring, it really does feel like this is their best. This is what they've been building towards. 
but it's just too freaking hard for me. And I didn't find that to be fun. And while some people might enjoy that, I got out into the open world. I got through the whole tutorial area. I explored a bit, killed some enemies, tried to go off the beaten path and find different things, which the exploration aspect, they really got, they really nailed it. But I still didn't find the gameplay and combat rewarding enough that I wanted to keep going, Mike. I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I played a bit of Elden Ring as well. Kind of got to a point where it's weird because I can I respect the game for what it is and I like that it exists. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like you get to these kind of these just hurdles that Mm -hmm. just seem impossible to get past. And it's like, I don't want to sit here and have to learn this boss fight. Yeah. 30 times before before moving forward. I'd, I'd rather spend that time doing something else in a different yeah. game and enjoying I, from, if, Right. If you're not having fun, and I'm not against difficult games. I absolutely adore Cuphead. Yeah. I like a lot of challenging games. It's just I wasn't enjoying the loop of the game. And I love that 90% of people are because it seems like a lot of the world loves Elden Ring. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I think, I think that's awesome. And I'm glad that it exists. And I'm happy that it's part of the conversation in video games today. For me, it's just... It's not necessarily my thing, but I appreciate the folks that do really love Souls games, and I'm glad that they have like their magnum opus yeah, to play. Absolutely. But what I have been enjoying, and I've put minutes in, hours, wherever I can get a second, is Metroid Prime Remastered, yeah. which is still... It's funny that you're talking about Resident Evil 4. I'm talking Metroid Prime. We're talking GameCube games, 20-year-old games, basically. And there's still some of the best games out, Mike. GameCube lives on, baby. The GameCube, the GameCube is gonna have its its last laugh and its best laugh because Resident Evil Four is is gonna crush it. Metroid Prime, the two best games of the year right now are Metroid Prime Remastered and Resident Evil Four. It actually, you you know what? Yeah. While you do say it, while you say that's insane that these games are like twenty, like eighteen and twenty years old, I will tell you this much: I don't think it's insane because I think great games are great forever. Yeah, And these games were always great. Well, I love how you said before with Resident Evil 4, it's like you're experiencing certain things for the first time, even though you know the game, mm-hmm. like the back of your hand. Metroid yeah. Prime, I played on the GameCube, didn't beat it on the GameCube, but when the Wii version came out, the trilogy, yeah. I replayed through all three of them. And I yeah. had an amazing time. And that's not that long ago. Maybe the Wii version was a decade plus. It's like 2009. Yeah, like yeah, 14 years. So yeah. About 12, 14 years ago, I played all three and had the time of my life. And this is like experiencing it for the first time. It Mm -hmm. looks gorgeous. I mean, it could be. And no joke, this could be the best looking game on the Switch. And there is a little, one or two minor things. Like you can look at a masterpiece, a painting, and find a flaw in a masterpiece. And the save system, if this was made in 2023, they probably would put more saves in. But maybe that is part of the Metroid system, is that you're supposed to have to try and get the world for a save file. And then also there's a lot of backtracking, which is Metroidvania, but some of the backtracking seems they fixed it with dread. Basically they made those backtracking feel more linear without making it feel linear. If that makes sense, because it kind of guides you where it needs to, without making you feel forced. You don't feel forced that way. Yes. Where Metroid Prime, I'm constantly going back to the same areas, but I don't mind. The game's beautiful. The game controls really well. I mean, the control aspect that people don't talk about enough, it's so smooth. Uh, I'm going to finish the game. I'm probably five hours in, and it's only like an eight to 10 hour game. So I'm probably pretty close to the end. Well, good. 
Enjoy. So that's what we've been playing lately. Well, again, we'll tune in from time to time. We're now in early April or late March when this hits you. So game season is uh, is all year round game season. Yeah, no, that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about being a gamer in 2023 is that there is no slow season anymore. It's terrifying because we never get a chance to True. like go back and play other stuff. But at the same time, it's it's always nice to see where we're going. I there. just think each day is a day closer to Tears of the Kingdom and everything is leading towards that, Mike. It's true. It's true. That's the big one. All roads lead to Tears of the Kingdom. So Starfield got out of its way. It, it everything is advanced wars is still there though <laughs> yeah that's right i'm getting advanced wars baby mike where can people on the really lovely internet find you yeah you can find me here on the hall of fame video game podcast you can also find me on my other podcast the batman testicast you can search us out we're chronicling the batman the animated series you can also find me with long island retro gaming li retro or long island retro gaming we're doing our long island retro gaming expo august 11th through the 13th of 2023 so please be there it's an amazing event and last but not least you can find me with my band bad mary you can search us out at badmary.com or bad mary band on all your socials a <sighs> <laughs> couple things mike's doing Just there a little, little things please do check out our back catalog like for instance last week we had a killer time talking castlevania that was a lot of fun but check out our 100 plus episodes of content please do leave us a review thank you we actually got a couple new five-star ratings so thank you guys so much that helps Woo! us uh, thank you. a ton Chief, please check out our social media our instagram page uh which is relatively active uh, mm-hmm. i need to actually ramp things back up again but we keep at that and then you need to buy more switch games. <laughs> I got a couple I got to update on there. I've been out of town for a couple of conferences. But lastly, do shoot us an email. Our Gmail is thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. So please do contact us, follow us, and do all the things. Until then, play the games. We'll see you guys next time. See ya. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.